This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Alrighty, welcome everyone. Thank you all for joining to this new, we'll see how new, uh, the Wednesday night instead of the Thursday night uh, class. We'll, we'll continue this to see how, how it works out. Uh, by the way, if anybody does prefer a the Thursday night over the Wednesday night, please do uh, let me know. I always thought Thursday night was like a crazy night to do it, but it worked for like many, many years. Uh, so in any case, if anybody wants to join us uh, Wednesday nights at 9 p.m., we give the Zoom class. Everyone's welcome uh, to uh, join. And uh, um, if not, you're uh, also welcome not to join, I guess. Um but if you do want to join, you can reach out to me at Rabbi Zitron at TorahAnytime.com and I could add you to the WhatsApp group, which I'm trying to just put it, instead of like sharing it in so many different places, I'm trying to minimize all the sharing in all the different WhatsApp groups. So just trying to post it just on the one group. But okay, let us, let us begin. Big stuff tonight. Big stuff. Oh, I, there's like, uh, I, I'll tell you why these classes are so amazing to me. It might not be amazing to like other people, but I'll tell you why it's amazing to me. Because when you start figuring out the psychology behind the person, behind the question, behind the topic, you learn so much about it and you can better understand it. When we look into our own lives, the way that we shape ourselves and the way that we become who we become is based off our upbringing, our surroundings, our interactions, our friends. We have so many different things that connect us, that sort of connect the dots in our brain to become who we end up uh, becoming. So imagine you're able to like, it's, it's the, the sad thing and the unfortunate thing is that we don't do the psychological, uh, you know, uh, I guess focus on ourselves, uh, because it is difficult. Uh, it's difficult to do it on somebody else, but it's definitely dif- difficult to do it on you. But imagine you could figure out why you are the way that you are. Now, I know that's that's a statement that's generally said in a negative way. That why the way why are you the way that you are? But in essence, it really tells us of who we are deep inside and what is our issues, what is our problems, how do we fix it? Therapy delves into that. So when we're going into the historical background of people, it gives us a, like a, 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 like a psychological understanding of the surroundings because we're all very influenced by our surroundings. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are very influenced. Whether it's the secular surroundings, whether it's the religious surroundings, whether it's our, our upbringing in the schools and the friends and our spouses and our children and our neighbors, everything affects us of who we become and how we, uh, and how we interact. So when looking into Shimon Hatzadik, so, uh, we spoke last week on Alexander the Great who lived during this time and that's why we spoke about him during that time. We will give a small recap on Alexander the Great, but not right now. We'll give that, uh, that recap a little bit, um, a little bit later. So the, Second base Amigdash was initially under the rule of the Persian Empire. In fact, for the first 34 years, right? So after the Purim story, for the, fir- for the first 34 years of the base Amigdash, it was under the Persian Empire. After the 34 years, Alexander the Great started his conquest, which lasted about six years, where he took over the Persian Empire, and this is where the Greek Empire took control over Eretz Yisrael as, uh, you know, as well. So, 
During this 70-year break between um, the destruction of the first base of Migdash and the building of the second base of Migdash, a lot of the Jewish people, they, uh, they, they, they left Israel, whether it's by their own choice or by forcefully leaving, they were gone. And they, many people went to Babel, Babylon. The second base of Migdash, when it was b- rebuilt, so Ezra... And when Ezra came to Eretz Yisrael, this was the, like the point. Uh, until this time, the, the Eretz Yisrael was desolate of Torah study for many dec- decades. The Beit Hamikdash was destroyed. The Babylonians, you know, they conquered the, you know, the, you know, besides destroying Eretz Yisrael, they also conquered Eretz Yisrael. And then you had the Persian Empire that took over the Babylonian Empire. And now you have the Greek Empire that took over the Persian Empire, who took over the Babylonian Empire. So now. You have over here uh, the land of Eretz Yisrael, which has gone through quite a lot over the past 70 years and changed over a lot of hands. And Torah study was was more focused in uh, Bavel during this time or in Persia. Uh, and now it's coming back to Eretz Yisrael. And if, this is where Ezra comes into the picture. So Ezra, the Chachamim, tell us that Ezra sort of uh, uh, revitalized Torah in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael. The... He was, he was responsible for spreading Torah throughout the entire, the entire land of Israel. And to the level of where Ezra was, Chazal, the Chachamim tell us that if Moshe Rabbeinu had not preceded Ezra, the Torah would have been received from, Ezra would have received the Torah from Hashem. That's how, of a, how much of a high level that he was. So Ezra, just give you a little bit of background, and you soon see why I'm giving you a little bit of a background of Ezra. Ezra was the one who formed the Anche Knesset Agdela. Anche Knesset Agdela was 120 sages, Many of them were prophets who, uh, you know, governed a lot of the the Jewish law. And and uh, for and one of the example is they put together the Shmona Esrei. Uh, that this is through divine inspiration through Ruach Hakodesh, and they kind of held the fort together, so to speak. Now Ezra, the like ruler, if you want to say, of the Jewish people at the time, his student was Shimon Atzadik, who we're speaking about tonight. Now, Shimon Atzadik is very interesting because I was looking for it. I'm like, why is his name Tzadik? We know Yosef Atzadik. We know no. there's a few people throughout the Jewish history that have the name Shimon Atzadik. And I was looking and I couldn't find a reason of like why specific. Well, I did find a reason. I was going to say, but I couldn't find a like Yosef Atzadik. He's known as Atzadik because he 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 was you know uh, very much focused on the on the on the Midah of Yisaid on on Shmir Sabris and and Shmir and he was he was very focused on, and that made him a level of Atzadik. We have throughout history very very select few of of the Jewish people that are known by the by the name Tzadik. Shimon Atzadik. Was known by this, the Muggin Avos, uh, brings down, and he, and he in fact says that it's not explained why Shimon Atadik is named Tadik. More so than the other Tanaim, right? He lived in the time of the Tanaim. They were all righteous. What was he better than anybody else? So the Muggin Avos goes and says that the whole nation, the reason why they called him Tadik is because he was more righteous than anybody else. Meaning that he was in a level above everybody else, which Again, I have a question. This is only my question. You have Gudailim, which also are a level of above everybody else. And we still, I mean, of course, we, for, we refer to them as Tzadikim. But the Gudailim, they're not, they're, their name is not like, you know, Rav Chaim Kanievsky HaTzadik. Even though he was a Tzadik. You don't see Chacham Avadi Yosef HaTzadik, even though he was a Tzadik. So, you know, and like he was, they were the, these people were giants in our generation. These are people that are more righteous than everybody else. But the Muggin Abbas does say that, 
the level, and it must be that the level of where Shimon HaTzadik was at this point in time was like so much higher than, than everyone else. Now, Shimon HaTzadik, he studied under Ezra, uh, like we said, he was a student of Ezra, Nehemiah, also of the Nevi'im, Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And it's very interesting, we'll soon see where it comes into play, that Shimon HaTzadik lived in a very critical point in Jewish history. Shimon HaTzadik lived in a time where the prophecy stopped happening. He, li- he His leadership coincided with the death of the last prophet, which was Malachi. So he was in a time where there were prophets and then there were no longer prophets. That is a huge change and we'll soon see how it comes into play and what Alexander the Great has to do with all of this and what Shimon HaTzadik is, is uh, you know, uh, um, you know, focus has been during this time. Now, uh, at this point in time in Jewish history, the Av Beisdin was the leading halachic authority. The Kohen Gadol was the political leader. This stayed under the the power of the Kohen Gadol until it was misused, and then it was moved to the Nasi. But at this point in time, the Kohen Gadol, which was Shimon Atzadik, he ha- he was the political uh, leader, and he was a Kohen Gadol for forty years. Now that may seem okay, like he served his term for forty years. We don't understand how impressive that is during the time of the second Beis Hamikdash. During the just to give you an understanding, the first Beis Hamikdash stood for a total of four hundred and ten years. During that period of four hundred and ten years, only twelve Kohanim Gedolim officiated. There was only twelve high priests during that time. The second Beis Hamikdash, which stood for ten years longer than the first, which stood for a total of four hundred and twenty years, had over three hundred Kohanim Gedolim. It had th- over three hundred high priests. When you subtract, or you do a little simple calculation, you subtract the forty years of Shemedat Tzadik, because he was in he was in in I guess you call it in power for forty years. And you subtract the 80 years of Yochanan Koin Gadol, and the 10 years of Rabbi Ishmael ben Papi, and the 11 years of Rabbi Lazar, although these are all the Kohanim, that means that the remainder of the 300, they didn't even last a year in office. And that's how the changeover was. Which means, one of the many things, but one of the things that it means is that the way that the, the, Level, the spiritual level of the Jewish people during the time of the second base Amigdash was nowhere close to where it was during the first base Amigdash. So now you have over here a Kohen Gadol, a very righteous Kohen Gadol. His name is literally the righteous, Hatzadik. And you would think that it would be the, the Mishnayis, you know, would be flooded with his, you know, with his information, with his teachings. But surprisingly, or not surprisingly, there has there is only one single statement noted by Shemana Tzadik. There's not, and it wasn't a, a halachic ruling. There's not one halachic ruling or legal statement that re- was recorded by for, you know by the name of Shemana Tzadik. The only thing that was recorded in Shemana Tzadik is the second parak and parak Elvis. Which states, Shimon HaTzadik was from the remnants, from the, from the remainder of the, the Anche Knesset Zagdala. Rabbi Victor Miller says that he wasn't actually part of the Anche Knesset Zagdala, but he was during that time. But whatever it was, he lived during that time. And Huayya Aymar, he used to say, His big statement 
in the Torah Shabbat Peh is that Shimon HaTzadik used to say three things. And that is the world stands, Ha'ilam Aymed, the world stands on three things. What are the three things? Alatayra, Torah study, Valavayda, which, you know, literally is, is meant to be for the Avaydas in the Beis HaMikdash, but now it's translated into prayer because we don't have the Beis HaMikdash. And the third thing is Al-Gamilas Chasadim Ayn, doing kindness. This is the big statement that we have from the Shimon HaTzadik. Now we have to break this down, and that's what we're going to be doing over the uh, the course of the next classes whenever we continue the series. So, you know, we have the High Holidays coming up, but the focus is going to be to try to break down of what Shimon HaTzadik, the, 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 one of the, the few people that have the title Tzadik in name, why is it that he focused on these things and what does it mean that the world stands on these three things? So now, during this time when Shimon HaTzadik was Kohen Gadol, the second, this is during, of course, during the beginning of the second Beis Amikdash, the, People were generally on a high level. And we have to really understand, I'm really trying to build a picture of where the people stood. Because the more that you, the more that you understand the background of who Shimon Atzadik was, what was the situation, who was the people, the more you can understand the lessons that come out. So there's a Gemara in the Dharm, page 9b, that tells over a story about Shimon Atzadik's practice regarding to refraining, not eating from the meat off, from the meat offering that was brought by a Nazir. So a Nazir is someone who decides to take upon themselves to live a very, very holy lifestyle. Uh, the example would be they won't drink wine. One of the many, one of the things is that they don't drink wine. They don't cut their hair. Uh, they don't come into close contact with a dead person. Uh, nowadays, we don't you know, we, we, we don't, uh, uh, um, pursue this, uh, this path, even though sometimes you see people that do, but the general population is, and the general consensus is that we do not go through the Naziris, uh, but a Nazir has to go through these certain, they sort of take a vow upon themselves of a holy lifestyle. And if they violate that, or let's say, for example, they become tummy, uh, they become impure by being in contact with a human corpse, with a dead body. Now, they violated their term of Naziris, so what they have to do is they have to bring a special offering, a special carbon, and then they have to start the Naziris all over again, sort of like etch sketch they have to start again all the way from the beginning. Now, the Kohen Gadol, which at the time, which was Shimon Atzadik, he felt that the hardship of the extra days of Naziris might cause a person to regret becoming a Nazir. Meaning, then you know how you're like, okay, I'm going to go on a diet for like 30 days. And if I mess up, I'm going to start again. And then you go on the diet for like 15 days. Yeah, you're halfway there. And then you make a mistake and you're like, oh my gosh, now I have to start again from the full, you know, 30 days. You might regret the whole you know, I won't say a vow, but this whole decision that you made that you're going to go 30 days of, of like eating clean, let's say. So Shimon Atzadik was nervous, was that maybe what happened, what would happen would be is that a Nazir would make an, a, a vow, that he's going to be, a, you know, a Nazir for X amount of time. And then he is going to accidentally or whatever it is, become impure through contact of a human corpse, a dead body. And now he has to start it over again. But maybe... He is going to regret just going through this from the beginning. And if he starts regretting it, it's going to provide a basis for the annulment of the vow 
kind of of the of Naziris, retroactively disqualifying his offering to some degree. So Shimon Atzadik would refrain from eating this meat of the carbon for that reason, except for one time. The Gemara in, uh, the Gemara in uh, in Adarim brings of only one time where he ate this this carbon that came from a Nazir. And that was where, uh, you know, the Bryce states the story, the story, where a Nazir came from the south, and he was a very beautiful person. He had beautiful eyes, you know, beautiful hair, um, and he came with a carbon. He had to bring a carbon, and he goes over, Shemina Tzadeh goes over, the cutting goes over to this, to this Nazir, and he says, you know, my son, why did you fit to destroy your beautiful hair of yours? Because a nazir, what they have to do after they after they grow the hair long, they have to cut off all their hair at the end of the term of the naziris. So this nazir responds and he says, "You know, I was a shepherd for my father in my town, and I went to fill uh, up a pail of water. And if you if the water is very still, there is a reflection." And he said, I looked him down into the water and I saw my reflection in the water. And he was a very good looking guy. And he said, "My evil inclination." came over me, and they wanted to remove me from Olam Haba, from the world to come. How would the evil inclination remove him from the world to come? The the evil inclination tried to urge him, entice him, to go and use his handsome appearance for sinful purposes. So I responded to the evil inclination, to the Yitzhahara. I said, you know, Russia, wicked one. Why do you pride yourself with a word that's not yours? He's talking to himself. He says, what's going to happen to me after 120? I'm going to be consumed by worms and maggots. So he goes right then and there. He says, I swear I make a vow that I will shave my hair for the sake of heaven. I'm not going to use my beauty for a sinful purposes. So Shimon Atzadik hears this. He stood up and he kissed the, you know, this, this Nazir on the head and he said, my son, may there be more people like you undertaking the vow of Zeros. Because he saw how real and how true this Nazir was. The, it's interesting that the Ramani Pano uh, brings down in his uh, Sefer of Gulgulim that uh, the reincarnation, that this Nazir was actually a reincarnation of Avshalom. Avshalom was the David HaMelech's son. Uh, who was also a Nazir, and his hair was a cause of his downfall. We're not going to go into the long story of it, but the Ramah and Pano says that this man who came back as a Nazir was a Gilgal, was a reincarnation, and none other than Absalom, the son of, of King David. So, says Rabbi Victor Miller, that we see over here that if you have a simple person who worked the land, he was a shepherd, and you see the level of where he reached, of where he understood where that he understood punishment and reward, and where he understood that you know the tactics of the Yitzhahara, you could see of how good of a job Shimon Atzadik accomplished in spreading Torah throughout the entire uh, the entire Eretz Israel. So we see the level that the Jewish people you know were on during uh, during this time. And in fact, you even see it in the miracles that happened during the time that Shimon Atzadik was the Kohen Gadol. So Shimon Atzadik, uh, well, just to back, you know, backtrack a little bit, during the first base of Mikdash, there was so many open miracles in uh during you know in the base of Mikdash and during that time uh besides the fact that you had prophecy, you had nevuah, um, you had the Aron, you had a lot of things that were like like above and beyond that didn't happen to a certain extent in the second base of Mikdash. So even though the miracles in the second base of Mikdash were not as great 
as it was in the first base Amigdash, but during the time of Shimon Atzadik, there was some special miracles that after he died only happened some of the time. And the Gemara tells us, the Gemara Numa, uh, page 39.8, goes and tells us a list of all the things that happened during the time where Shimon Atzadik, just to show you of how much of a high level that he was, that there were miracles that were happening during his 40 year uh, of being serving as Kohen Gadol, in the base Amigdash that stopped happening to, uh, to an certain extent after he was a nifter. So, of these miracles, one of them were that on Yom Kippur, there are two lots that were drawn. Uh, there was two identical goats. Uh, one was brought as a sin offering, um, uh, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which would bear the, you know, the sin of the, you know, of the Jews, and it would send to the Azazel. We're not gonna get to all the details of it. Uh, so, what, the, the miracle that happened was that it was it was a lot there was a like a a lot the gyrel that every time that every year when Shemanatzadik was picking the lots the right hand would always have the name of Akadish Baruch Hu would always be on the right hand consistently like every you know usually if you flip a coin you have two options you have fifty percent but this was every single time it always would go on the right hand uh, another another miracle was that. The, the, on the goat that was thrown off the cliff, this, there was a red string that was tied, half, half of the string was tied on the goat at horns, and half of it was tied onto the entrance of the base amygdash, and when the, and, and it was a red, and when it was thrown off, it turned into white. This is a sign that Akadish Baruch Hu has forgiven the Averos, the sins of the Jewish people. So the miracle was that even, you know, on the goat, on the base amygdash, you had a string, that miraculously was one color and one second and turned another color on another second. Another miracle was that the westernmost light of the menorah would burn continuously even though there was not enough oil. There was only enough oil to last through the night, but it would just continue burning. Uh, another, another miracle was on the Mizbeach. The fire was, um, they didn't need to, they only needed to add two sticks of wood, uh, which is, you know, on the Mizbeach, which is something that was required by the Torah as a mitzvah. And the fire always kept on burning. And now anybody that just like listens to us and they're a city boy or a city girl are like, okay, well, you know, like, what does that mean? But anybody who has been into a fire and had to fed a bonfire knows that the fire burns fairly quickly. Imagine, imagine having a fire consistently burned with only two pieces of wood being thrown there on a daily basis. So this was a very big, uh, nace, a very big miracle. Another miracle was the lechem apanim. The lechem apanim, they, it was, it was blessed that if you eat a small amount, it would satisfy. Talk about like a diet pill, but we can't even begin to that. But imagine that you eat a little tiny piece of the bread and you're satisfied. Now, these may appear small or insignificant, but these were consistent. These were consistent miracles, which means that it almost turned, turned into like this is natural thing. And this only happened during the time of when Shimon HaTzadik was alive. After he died, it only happened occasionally, which shows that it corresponds. The way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu treats us is the way that the level that we are on. The Gemara says something fascinating on the last Yom Kippur of Shimon Atzadik's life. Uh, to, he mentioned to those people around him that this year he was going to die. And they responded to him, how, like, how do you know that this year you're going to die? So he says, every Yom Kippur, he enters the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and he's met by this old man. And this old man is dressed in white, and he enters the Kodesh HaKadoshim with me. And he exits the Kodesh, the Kodesh with me. This year, 
I saw this man was not dressed in white. He was dressed in black. And he only entered with me and he didn't exit with me. And really, the, the, what ended up happening is after Sukkot, shortly after Yom Kippur, after Sukkot, Shimon HaTzadik became sick and he died and he passed away. His death, this marked the end of a very, very special era in uh, Jewish history. And in fact, until then, the Kohanim, um, when they're saying Birkas Kahanim, they would use the Shem Mefarish. And after that, after his death, they no longer did this. So his, to just to show you of what of type of a level that he was on, where miracles were happening consistently, even though there was no more Nevuah, there was no prophecy, there were still consistent miracles. And once he passed away, a lot of these things went away, which means is there's a very simple equation that if you see something happen when it's when he's around and it doesn't happen, you could attribute it that it was in his merit. To finish off this idea of how much of a high level he was on, um, there was a uh, poet, a writer by the name of Ben Sira, and he lived during the time of Shimon Atzadik, and he composed a very lengthy song describing Shimon Atzadik in glowing terms. Um, he was the greatest of his brothers, a glorious, how glorious he was when he left the temple, uh, the star shining from the god. It, 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 it's it's a full piet, and this is actually a very famous piet that most of you would probably know it, but I don't know if you knew that it was attributed to Shimon. Shimon uh, Atzadik, and this is the famous piet of a uh, piet is a, uh, like a, the prayer that we say, um, and this is actually on um, Yom Kippur on the the Chazan's repetition in the Musaf of Yom Kippur. We say we sing this famous song called Mare Kain. Mare Kain. This was named, and this this is all done after. Um, after Shimon HaTzadik. Happens to be that Marakarin is one of my brother's favorites, uh, favorite song. It was actually played during his wedding. I I've never been to a wedding where they played a song from the, from the Yom Kippur, uh, Davening, but it was played during my brother's wedding. A very, very famous, uh, famous, uh, you know, a song that uh, I'm sure everybody is well, uh, well aware of. So just to show you of what type of a level that he was on. So we see that the Jewish people were on a very high, they had a high level ruler, they were on a high level. But at the same point in time, just to continue painting this picture, there, it was still a little, it was still a little bit of a, um, of a, of a difficult, of a difficult time. And the, you know, during this time, there was the Kutim, which we spoke about last week, that they, you know, this is during the Assyrian Empire, they, you know, scrambled all the, you know, the people to prevent a uh, rebellion, uh, uh, you know. We're not going to go into that because we spoke about it in length, uh, you know, last time. But there was a certain Kuti leader that he was in Israel, and his name was Sanvelet. And this leader, he was a enemy of the Jewish people, and he went over to Alexander the Great, and he asked Alexander the Great, can I construct a temple? It wasn't a temple to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It was, you know, a different type of temple. He wanted to put a temple on Har Grizim, on Mount Grizim. And Alexander the Great allowed him. And this son, Velet, he was also, he had under his wing a prominent coin, uh, the son of Yoyada and this, unfortunately, this, this coin had assimilated during this time and he married San Velet's daughter. And there were a bunch of Jews that were loyal to, to this Kohen and San Velet and they went along, uh, you know, with him. And in fact, the, uh, the, you know, the Sefer of Ezra and Nehemiah, they speak about assimilation during this time and occurred during this lifetime where Jewish men unfortunately married, uh, you know, Gentile, uh, 
woman. Uh, the you know the Sefer the of Ezra actually lists them by name. Uh, there were 112 of them. And uh, um, while they were successful in getting them back, meaning bringing them back to the Jewish fold, the you, you think about it, be like, okay, 112, you know, people assimilating in the big picture of thing. You look at it, you know, nowadays in age where we have over 50% assimilation rate. Unfortunately, what's the big deal of 112? Very small number. So back then, any Jew that intermarried was a huge, like, outrage. It was like a huge thing. There was a huge difference over here. And, and in fact, like, they were able to combat it so much that they were able to prevent, like, even after the fact, they were able to bring them all to the, mo- the majority, not all of them, the majority, and they were able to bring them all back. So, you have at this point, there is a, the kind of was a division beginning, and a division starting to, you know, to happen, where the Jewish people kind of split into two groups. Those loyal to Shemana Tzadik, and his student will we'll soon see Antigonus, and, you know, uh, the students that come after that. And then you have the other group that were following Sanvelat, they were following this Kuti and this, you know, Kahanim, and the, you know, going on Har Grizim. So this, unfortunately, began an era of assimilation. And it continued with the tzedukim, uh, which we'll soon see in the coming classes. Uh, these, you know, tzedek and batyas, which later ended up becoming priests in this temple. Um, which is spoiler alert, that's for a, a, a later a later class. This Hargrizim, this temple that said Hargrizim, stood for approximately 200 years until the story of Hanukkah, where the Hashmanayim, the, 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 they were able to overthrow the Greek uh, presence in Eretz Israel. So... Here we have where the Jewish people in the land of Israel, while they were strong, there was a weakening aspect that was there was assimilation and there was Greek infiltration in the mindset. Now, to understand what the Greek infiltration was, is this is the class we spoke about last week, but I'm going to have a very brief recap now just so you can understand where the Jews stand compared to where the Greeks stand and how the Greeks' mindset is slowly infiltrating into the Jewish mindset. So the reason why we went into understanding Alexander the Great because he was the ruler. And the ruler was a dictator at that time. And whatever his mindset was, was pushed very heavily on everybody else's mindset. So you look at Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was was the son of King Philip, who was able to conquer what 500 years prior to this king couldn't conquer. Greece, until this point in time, were a bunch of cities that each one was fighting against the other. For 500 years, they couldn't figure it out. Comes King Philip, and he was able to, like, conquer it all. So you could imagine the ego that was going on in the palace of King Philip. Like, he was able to do what all his predecessors could not do. So this is what Alexander grew up in. And to make the the ego injection much stronger, when Alexander was 13, he was able to tame and ride a horse, Bucephalus, that nobody was able to do. So at 13, he's hearing, until this age, he's hearing about all the, the ego, if, if the king's ego is not enough and how much they think, even more so on how much he was able to accomplish. Now you have this 13-year-old kid who is able to do something that nobody else was able to do. And to make matters even worse or better, depending on which angle you're looking at on his ego, when he was 20 years old, he he took over as king because his father was assassinated. And there was a city that rebelled, the the city of Thebes. He killed out the entire city and nobody, you know, rebelled, you know, against him. So he is at 20 years old. He's coming from a very, very high egotistical place that I'm able to accomplish a lot. 
And to add fire to that, the Persian Empire at this point in time was ruling the entire world. This is right after the story of Hanukkah. They were ruling the entire world. This is after Ahasuerus, this is during the time of Darius. And they were ruling the entire world. Alexander the Great was able to overcome, to beat the Persian Empire, and now he became the ruler of the entire you know world at that point in time. And this is what the story that we spoke about last week, which was the Gemara and Tamid, <clears throat> which speaks where Ezra, where I'm sorry, not Ezra, where Alexander goes over to the to the Chachamim, and he starts asking them a whole list of questions. Ezra a Chacham, who's a wise man? Ezra a Usher, who's a wealthy man? Ezra a Gibar, who's a strong man? And we we discussed the reason why Alexander the Great was asking this is Alexander the Great at this point in time he's king not only king he's God in his eyes right he accomplished what nobody was able to accomplish he is unstoppable in his eyes you're talking about a, a, a champion that thinks everything about himself to the highest level possible. He goes over to the sages, the smartest people during that time, and he's fishing for compliments. You can see how much, you know, he got plenty of compliments, but he still wanted to get more compliments. He goes over to the sage and he says, oh, who is a wise man? They're, they're wait, he's waiting. Of course, you, Alexander the Great, last name of, the, uh, you know, the Great. It's got to be you. It's got to be you. Why? Because you learned under Aristotle. And maybe, by the way, just a mindset, Alexander the Great lived during the time of Shimon Atadik. Shimon Alexander the Great, I don't know who gave him the name of the Great, but maybe it was himself, maybe it wasn't. Shimon Atadik also has a name of the righteous person. And maybe there is a connection during this time of why these two people had the, the battling of the spirituality and battling of the opposite of spirituality. Each had a different title of what their focus was. If you want to be great, you want to be Atadik. For uh, uh, maybe a point that maybe we'll discuss later, maybe we won't, I don't know. But in any case, Alexander the Great is coming, and he is fishing for compliments from the Chachamim. And the sage says, oh, you think you're wise? No, a wise person is a way another. Knows why they were put on this earth. They know why, what, you know, they're able to foresee the future. It has nothing to do with your wisdom from Aristotle. It has nothing to do with all your philosophical understanding and debates and scientific advancements. It has nothing to do with that. So he says, Ezra Gipper, come on, you can't deny the fact that Alexander the Great conquered the entire world. He's got to be like, okay, who is a strong man? you got to say Alexander. Alexander the Great, he, there's nobody he couldn't conquer. There's nobody that he couldn't accomplish. And he said, no, has nothing to do with you. You want to know who's someone who's strong? What might doesn't mean anything on how strong you are. If you're able to overcome your desires, that's what makes you strong. And then finally, he says, Ezra Asher, he conquered the Persian Empire. Hasveris is known for his wealth. He conquered, he got all that wealth. He was extremely, extremely wealthy. The wealthiest person on that time, during that the, during that time period. So, of course, he would say, you, he says, no, Ezra Asher, Samech Behaka, someone who's happy with what he had. Alexander the Great obviously wasn't happy with what he had. He had this insatiable appetite. He was always conquering more. He was always trying to accomplish more. So what was the mindset of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great was coming to the sages. He was coming to the Torah sages saying, look at what I accomplish. I accomplish everything. I accomplish all these aspects. And the sages says, no, 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 no. You ain't accomplished. That doesn't define wisdom. That doesn't define strength. That doesn't define wealth. Now we said just to take on this point, we're going to go a little bit of a detour. We'll come back to it. A beautiful connection. Shimon Atzadik, when he lived during this time, we said that there is no more prophecy. What that meant was, is that when there was prophets, you were able to go to a navi. You were able to go to a prophet and say, "I have this question. What should I do?" The navi just 
spills out the answer of what God said, and you have the answer stamped in gold. Like, there's nothing more higher that you could take. You have the answer. There was no question. There was, if you realize, until the time when there was Nevoah, there was no machlokas. You want to know why Shimon HaTzadik only had one statement? There was no machlokas. Everybody knew exactly what they needed to do, because if they didn't, they went to the Navi and they gave them a straight answer. But what happened now, after the time of when Nevoah finished, there is no more prophecy. Now it depends on the intellect of the Chachamim. How are you going to go and interpret the Torah in this particular instance? How are you going to pass it in this question? You can't, there's no Nevoah. You can't ask a Dishbrachel. So you have to understand the Torah. You have to understand the basis of interpreting the Torah. You have to understand the basis of the situation. And you have to come to a conclusion. Again, and this can be two different opinions. can come from different angles. Each one has supporting views. So at this point... During the time of Shemana Tzaddik, now it's all about the intellect of the sages and how smart and how you're able to go and, and, and break down the Torah and how you're able to understand it and how you're able to interpret it. At the same point in time, Alexander the Great comes out with his philosophy, the Greek philosophy. It's all about the intellect. He learned under Aristotle. He was very philosophical. He was very logical. Everything was had to be very, very absolute. Anything that was not absolute, he rejected. So you have over here at this point in time, two very, very powerful thought processes that were going around. They were both, you had the Greek system, which is man-made, obviously, and which was, didn't last. And then you have the Torah system, which was divine man. But both emphasize on the importance of human thought. This is the importance of how you're going to go and how you're going to analyze, how you're going to answer this question. So we have over here something very fascinating. You have over here Shimon Hatzadik's mindset from the spiritual side. You have over here Alexander the Great's mindset that infiltrated the Greek philosophy on the, on the physical side. And what was the Greek philosophy? The Greek philosophy was, oh, you know what? I am so strong. I was able to accomplish so much. I am so wise because I learned under Aristotle the Great. I am so wealthy because I have so much money. And the mindset behind that is you want to accomplish a lot, be strong, be wealthy, be, you know, like study a lot and be wise. That's why you're going to accomplish a lot. So the pushing from the physical side, from Alexander the Great side, was it all depends on what I'm able to do. If I'm able to go and learn a lot, if I'm able to be strong, if I'm able to go and acquire a lot of wealth, and that is the focus, and that is what the world stands on. Comes the Chachamim, and they respond to Shimon HaTzadik, says, no, 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 no. He says, you think why? wisdom? That has nothing to do with wisdom. You didn't know what's, what's Hanoi like. You think you're, you're wealthy? You're not satisfied with what you have. <coughs> you think you're strong? You're not able to overcome your desire. So what does Shimon HaTzadik say? Well, you know what the world stands on? Again, this a lot of this part is my own chidushim. So again, take it to, to, to whatever extent. But I think it's beautiful and it, things, it plugs in beautifully. Alexander the Great was pushing the world stands on wisdom. The world stands on money. The world stands, stands on power. That's what the world stands on. That's what he emphasizing. That was the Greek philosophy. And it was infiltrating entire to the entire Jewish nation. Comes Shimon at Tzaddik and the Torah, the Mishnah says, Who are Yaimer? What does it mean that Who are Yaimer? Who are Yaimer says that he was constantly repeating it again and again. He lived by it. He says, You want to know what the world stands on? It doesn't stand on wisdom. It doesn't stand on money. It doesn't stand on power. It stands on three things. On Torah, Avoida, and Gemilas Chasadim. That's what the world stands on. Now we can better understand of why Shimon Atzadik, you know, came to this conclusion, came to this, you know, to this focus. You know, the battle 
between Shimon Atzadik and Alexander the Great, the philosophical, you know, behind-the-scenes battle, is not something that happened only back then. It's something that happens to this day. Modern science works the same way. Atheism, agnosticism, this all work. We, we, if we can't physically see the way that it worked for Alexander the Great, if he was able to justify something, if he was able to understand something, then it made sense. But if I don't understand it, if I don't see it, then it doesn't make sense. You know, he bowed down to Shemin Atzadik in the story that we said last week when he saw Shemin Atzadik because he saw him in a vision. He was able to attribute, okay, this, my success is because of Shemin Atzadik. My success is because of this person. I'm going to grant this person whatever he wants. But it wasn't from a philosophical understanding that there is, you know, like the, that he came to a conclusion that really the Torah is correct and that's what we have to be, you know, focus on. He came from it from what he saw. His perspective was if I see it, if it makes sense, then I'll go with it. And that's the way that it goes nowadays. If it makes sense, if I can see it, if I can prove it, then fine. Then, then you know, then then I'll believe it. Then I'll follow it. And uh, at the same point in time, if I, it's easier to justify something, right? We're easily swayed. Oh, we're so easily swayed. Uh, the manipulation, by the way, marketing is another name for manipulation, right? The marketing, the manipulation that we go through is so like, like if. If we're just like pushed a little bit to one direction, it could be from our own, you know, like, like justification from our own bias that we want to focus on one direction. We'll just see that one answer. I can't tell you how many times people call me and they ask me questions and I could see they're just like guiding me towards answering one way. And they're just like, want me to answer that question, but they need that justification and be like, okay, so I spoke to this person. They said, it's okay. Okay, fine. So now I feel comfortable in doing what I'm doing. So we, we're, we're very biased in what we do. We push ourselves to one way and then we justify it. So if we have a mindset of Alexander the Great that we have to see everything. So then guess what? When we want to do something good, then fine, we'll do it. But when we want to do something bad, we'll be able to justify it. We'll be able to prove it. We'll be able to have that similar mindset of Alexander the Great that if I'm able to see it, if I'm able to explain it, if I'm able to justify it, then it's okay of what I'm doing. And this is where the scientific world comes into such a, a such a such, such a, a a disaster of where they are. And that is what what scientific if it can be proven. Uh, if it can be proven, then it's a you know the, whether you call it a fact or whatever it is you want to call. I'll just leave it as a statement as a of a fact. And if you can't prove it, then it must be not true. To a certain extent. But this is very, very fluid because when you're dealing with scientific facts, evidence, or uh, uh, theories, it's all based of the criteria, of the scientific advancements, of the tools that we have in our hands. So what was disproven a hundred years ago, all of a sudden became proven now. And what's proven now may be disproven in a hundred years. It's a flu- science, science is very fluid. It constantly is changing because we're constantly learning new things. And that's why, you know, medication are put on the market. They're taking off of the market. These things are taking out. Things are constantly going back and forth because it's a fluid thing. And we still, to this day, Go and say in our mindset, we'll be like, okay, if science says it, then it must be, you know, like we, you know, it must be that we have to go through this, this direction, even though it's something that's constantly changing. 
Where Torah, on the other hand, doesn't change. It always stays the same, and it's not being proven wrong consistently. So why is it that you have something very consistent, something very changing, that you people are still being fallen prey into the changing aspect? And the answer is, it's Alexander the, the Great's mindset. Is that if I could prove it, if I want to do something, then I'll focus on this way. So the battle between Alexander the Great, the battle between Shimon Atzadik still stands till today. The question is, where do you stand? Do you stand to realize that you want to be successful in this life, so you're going to go work hard? Again, you should work hard, you should succeed, but it's all about how much you acquire and how much you're going to be able to, uh, you know, acquire in wisdom and how much you're going to be able to, of course, I'm talking about secularism, Torahism, you obviously should acquire, and how much you're going to go and you're going to be able to, to, to get your strength. Is that the focus? Is that what's going to make you successful? Or are you going to understand and realize that what Shivan and Tzadik was telling us, you know what the world stands on? You know what success is going to be? I'll you want to succeed in life? You want to succeed? You want to know what the world stands on? Focus on learning Torah. Focus on praying and focus on doing good deeds. That is the recipe of success. I want to finish off with a thought that Rabbi Tversky, Rabbi Dr. Avram Tversky uh, brings down on this, on this Mishnah. That the, you look at the, today's day and age, the survival of the world, it's a jeopardy. Our, technological advances, while they give us many blessings, they unfortunately come at a tremendous cost. Now, when you look at the world at large with the chemical pollution, with the nuclear waste, with the acid rain, with the carbon dioxide emissions, with the, you know, the ozone layer, the tampering of the ozone layer, the global warning, and I'm not talking about plastic straws and plastic, you know, bags. You know, I'm talking about the real stuff that actually make a difference that nobody wants to like, okay, we have to stick with that. What's the reason that there was so so much efforts to try to control this and there's only limited success? And the reason is, is that people have an insatiable appetite for wealth, for leisure, for greater conveniences. And it's not a, you know, a hidden fact. It's a very well-known fact that we are going to give the world to our children, not the way that we receive the world. It's going in a downward spiral. I'm not talking about the spiritual aspect. I'm talking about the physical, uh, in the physical aspect. And it's all based because we have this insatiable appetite. This insatiable appetite, which was the same appetite that Alexander the Great had. Ezra Usher, because I constantly accomplish. I constantly acquire. Ezra Gibar, I constantly acquire. Ezra, you know, I'm, I'm so wise. Ezra Chacham, I'm always, I'm always achieving more. He had this insatiable appetite for all his desires. He was a substance abuser. He was constantly going after all these things. And that's one of the reasons that he died. He passed, he died from what one opinion is an alcohol overdose, where he just constantly, you know, he had this appetite and he couldn't satiate it. And, Rabbi Dr. Tversky explains that humanity is right now addicted to gratifying our desires, just like a drug addict is addicted to their drugs. And the addict, the drug addict, is not like deterred. It's not like, you know, going to stay, stay away from the drugs because they know that it's going to destroy them. They don't care that it destroys them. You know, like they're not thinking about that. And even if they, they're aware of it. They're not, no, I've dealt with many drug dealers. They, 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 I'm, I don't know why I said dealers. I meant drug addicts. Dealt with dealers a little bit, but mostly addicts. Ex-dealers, I have to say. Uh, the cravings, the cravings of the addict blinds them to the self-destruction that they're going to have. 
And this is the same state that we are in today. The goal of life has become the pursuit of pleasure, similar to that of a drug addict. And what would be the treatment? And by the way, the reason why, specifically, it's, it's, it's such a chedesh that it comes from Rabbi Dr. Tversky, is that he was a psychiatrist, right? He, this, he dealt with drug addicts, and he sees this. And says, you know what the treatment of an addict it's when they become aware of their destructive progression of their addiction and they change their lifestyle to a greater pursuit of spirituality. Many of us, our desires, our focus in life is about acquiring this physical growth and the physical. Of course, we have amazing, you know, reasoning behind it to give tzedakah to Bala. And again, May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless us with infinite blessing on it, on all of it, wealth and health and, and strength and wisdom and all these things. But when the focus becomes only that, it's an addiction. And the way to get out of that addiction is to change that to a greater pursuit of spirituality. And this was Shimon Sadek was coming to tell us, he says, you know, you're going to fall into this path. This path over here of constantly straying after what the Greek philosophy is, which still stands still today. But rather, you want to accomplish, you want to acquire, you want to overcome it, you have to go and you have to go through Torah, Avodah, and Kamila Sassadim. That's the way that you're going to succeed, and that's the way that you're going to be able to accomplish, and that's what the world stands on. The Magda Vilna says in the Mishnah of Kohalas, what Shlomo Melch, the second, second, uh, sorry, not the Mishnah, second, uh, Pasuk in Kohalas, where Hevel Avalim Amarkalas, everything is vanities, vanities of vanities. Hevel Avalim Hakol Hevel, everything is nothing. Shlomo Melech had access to everything. You know what it means, nothing? Nothing is zero. And if you add a bunch of zeros, it means nothing. They don't, the number doesn't accumulate to anything if you add a bunch of zeros. But if you put a one in front of these zeros, all of a sudden this becomes a huge number. This becomes a huge number where it was zero before all of a sudden it becomes billions, trillions, and so on. When we partake in worldly pleasures, if we're doing it for the wrong sake, if we're not doing it for the right understanding, again, the Torah doesn't say you have to abstain from all these pleasures of the world. The Torah doesn't say that. The Torah says, yes, you could and you should have certain pleasures and in fact many pleasures in this world. But you have to do it in the right ways and the right reasoning. If someone has a relationship before they get married, before they get married, so they're taking this, this, this pleasure before they get married. They're taking that and they're putting a bunch of zeros about it. But if they have the relationship after they get married, all of a sudden they're putting that one in front of that zero. And all of a sudden now it became from being worthless or even negative to all of a sudden being worth billions. Being worth a tremendous amount. So when we partake in our physical desires, are we doing it with a spiritual background or with a spiritual backing? And if so, we place that one in front of all that zeros. And all of a sudden, it becomes powerful. You know, the wisdom, the wealth, the strength, all of a sudden it becomes worthwhile. Meaning that Alexander the Great says, you know what, what, what succeed in this world? If you're strong, if you're wealthy, if you're able to go and if you're able to acquire a lot of wisdom. And the Chazal says, no, 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 it's all about Torah, but what about wealth? What about wisdom? What about power? What about strength? And the answer is that if you acquire wealth for the right reasons, 
through the white paths and utilizing the money for the right way, then guess what? You take all that slew of zeros and you put a one about, you know, in front of it. All of a sudden, it becomes very powerful, very, very uh, spiritual. You're taking that physical and you're in. You're 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 infusing it with spirituality. So, when we look at this battle, the battle of Shimon Atzadik, the battle of Alexander the Great, this is something that continues to today. It's a battle of where our focus will be, the battle of where our mindset is. Is our mindset on Torah Avodah and Gemilas Hasadim, or our mindset is on the spiritual acquiring of where Alexander the Great? Greek philosophy is no longer standing, even though there is. The, the, the original mindset is still pushing, but the core of it, the, the bulk of it is no longer here. The temptation of it is still here, but the core of it is no longer here. Torah is still here. Torah is here to stay. The question is, which side are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the Greek side or are you going to focus on the spiritual side? With that, we will open up to some questions. We will also, now that we got it, this, by the way, these two classes were just an introduction to the second Mishnah of Perkei Elvis. Now, now in our coming class, we're going to start to uncover what Shimon Atzadik meant by Torah, Avaita, and Gemila Sassadim. Okay, uh, question. Why did the Kohanim know to stop using Hashem's name because he passed? If Berkos Kohanim is Daraisa, oh, that's a good question of why and how and they started, I don't know. I don't know, like, if it was Shimon Atzalek says, from now on, you stop. They just, all my information that I have is, it was just, it was just stop. It's a great question. Uh, if these Kohanim had questionable, next question, it was, if these Kohanim had questionable lineage and most likely non-Jews, from what I understand, how are they able to survive coming in and out of Kodesh HaKadoshim? So, I'm assuming you're referring to the Kohanim. Kohen Gedolim, the, the Kohanim Gedolim, which were over 300 during the time of the second base of Mikdash, and that is one of the reasons they, there were so many of them, they didn't survive coming out of Kodesh HaKadoshim. Uh, they, you know, they, the, one of the reasons why there was such a high number of it. Oh, oh, I forgot to also, we're learning tonight, Lilunishmas, Avram ben Chaim Yehuda, and Yechaskel ben Abraham, and also the Yurtzet of Zerah Shimshon. I forgot, oh, yeah, right, thank you for, uh, um, you know, for bringing that up. And also the um, is the yurt side of of Tzvi Ben Harav Asher. May all the Rishamas have a an Aliyah. Okay, next question: Drugs and other addiction is about escapism, running away from something they feel they have no purpose. And when someone is spiritual aware, they feel more accomplished. A hundred percent. Now it's not the soul, you know. Um, I guess, overcoming of a drug addiction, but there, it, it does play a very, very important role. When the third base amygdala is rebuilt, are we going to be on a higher level than the past two base amygdala? So, so it's an excellent question. So in a sense, yes, because we are going to be going before the hate of Adam Arisham, but again, this is going to be a process. So, uh, it, it grows over, uh, over time. Okay. Is that the last question? Oh, yeah. All right. Looks like the last question. Oh, no, we got one more. I was going to show you. Yeah. Um, Lights Along the Way, uh, Rabbi Tversky. Okay, I didn't didn't read that one. He is our uh, Memphis uh, Rabbi Nissan's uncle. Oh, really? I got him to uh, take the words, or his Rabbi Tversky's people... Take the words out of that picture because I thought it was just so beautiful. 
and I have it hanging on my wall there. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't get your message. Um, it, what I post, uh, I messaged you about, well, I guess we're not going to talk about it. And then I sent you something about Alexander the Great. But anyway. Yeah. Maybe mm. you didn't push sun, which happens. No, no, no. I, it's weird because I, it went, but I sent a voice note on messages, so maybe that's why it didn't go through. I don't know. Oh, I was there. Okay. Yeah, right. I don't know why. Okay. Um, okay, one last question came in. Um, can you tell us some things to work on in LL? So I could just tell you one very important factor, um, that the way that it works for Rosh Hashanah is the earlier that you start working on yourself, whatever it is that you start preparing yourself for, for Rosh Hashanah, you're basically getting online for Rosh Hashanah. And you're much better off being in the front of the line of Rosh Hashanah than in the back of the line of Rosh Hashanah. Think of it as like, uh, this is back in the olden days, like a Black Friday, uh, where the if you get early enough, you would get the good deal. So whatever it is that you want to work on, and everybody knows what they need to work on. I mean, I can give you a list of things, but I don't know if it's uh, so appropriate because there's so many different things that everyone to their own, uh, you know, to their own level, whether it's Shmir Sanayim, whether it's Tznias, whether it's Tfilah, whether it's Shabbos. But whatever it is, if you start working on yourself, and put it this way, and if you don't, you can't do anything else, at least start davening to work on yourself, meaning that you ask Hashem, please help me, help me, kind of, uh, you know, work on myself. So uh, the earlier that you start, the better off, the better judgment that you will have on Rosh Hashanah. Leave you with that gold mine. We gave a whole class on this a few years back, but uh, that's that's uh, you can't get more powerful than that. I don't know what else I could give you more powerful than that. But in any case, until next time, may you all have an amazing, most successful week, month, and Emirates Hashem signing for an amazing hey, year. Rabbi, I had a question. Yes. Um. Yeah. Um. It was I, I sent it in the group chat, but um, it was basically I was talking regarding the cooking, like. Oh, I missed like, this one. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Okay, so I'm, I may, I wasn't clear. Okay, so first of all, I apologize. I missed that question. And secondly, the people that were became like Kohanim or whatever it was in the Kutim, that was not part of the base Amikdash. That was part of the temple, their temple. Like they went off. That was not the. Um, that was not part of the three hundred. That we're referring to over here. Okay, so they made their they made their own like temple and Har Grisim, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you. All right. No, it's completely fine. Yeah. All right. Thank you, and thank you for all the kind words. Yes, <laughs> my wife deserves great thanks for allowing me to do all and anything that I do. So yes, thank you for that. Um, thank you. Thank you all. Until next time. Thank you, everybody, Zitron. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.